the reading of God's word for this morning comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5 verses 13 uh, through 15. So hear now the reading of God's word. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with great anticipation because you're the God who always speaks. Your word is living and active, a double-edged sword. The Lord pierces through our inmost being things that we think shouldn't separate, bone and marrow. Lord, you are the one who can separate them. You're the one who can discern our thoughts from afar. You're the one who sees all the way down to the bottom. And so what we're asking for this morning, Lord, is that you would meet us in a way that changes us, that remakes us, Lord, that yes, Abba, tears us down, that you might rebuild us, calls us to death, that you might also raise us to life. And as hard and as scary as that can sound, Lord, we know you. We know your heart. We know your ways. And so to the best of our abilities, even now, we say, come. We surrender. Come and have your way in us that you might also have your way through us. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, confession here about my family, one that I want you to know is being shared uh, with a degree of permission. She doesn't necessarily know I'm sharing it this morning, but she does know that uh, I have permission to share this. She's given me permission to share some of her story with you, and it's simply this. Eva was not an easy kid. Eva's my daughter, right? And uh, Eva is a very strong-willed, or was a very strong-willed little one. She got that from Kristen, her mother. Um, and uh, she was just, she took after me in certain ways, right? And so because she took after me, we, we bonked heads a whole bunch. She was a very cute little girl. She was awesome and sweet in so many ways, but in different ways, she was difficult. She was difficult. And a lot of times, what, the way that that came out was in ways that we were trying to care for her, she would resist that care. So this is a picture of her getting her ears pierced for the very first time, right? Like, she hated shots. She hated shots so much that one time she squirmed underneath the doctor's table when, she, when we took her to the pediatrician and was screaming so loudly that all the people in the waiting room were wondering what was happening and why was the doctor torturing our child, right? Like, this is how much she pushed back when it came to the things that were good for her but hurt, when it came to the things that she needed but didn't like because of the pain. Pain and fear, friends, are liars. 
Let me say it one more time. Pain and fear are liars. They speak to us things like, if it hurts, it, it can't be good. Or because it hurts, I don't, I'm not willing to enter into that. I don't want to go that direction. I'm not ready for that. It's going to hurt too much. They teach us things about what we think God thinks because we've heard it from others. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's the people around us. Maybe it's our own voices. Maybe it's the voice of the enemy. Maybe it's all of them. But pain and fear teach us things. And they taught Eva things from a very early age, like I'm unlovable, I'm ugly, I'm dumb. And as her dad, I want you to know that crushed me when I finally started to learn that these were the things that she had believed her whole life, that she thought God thought was true of her, that she thought we thought was true of her, that she absolutely believed was true of her. When the truth is, we were more for her than she could even imagine throughout that entire season. And it didn't come until Eva's life fell apart at the end of her high school career, when things in her life completely fell apart, that the truth was revealed, when Eva fully surrendered because the truth was exposed about what she was believing, that it was a lie, that it wasn't true, that pain and fear were indeed liars, and that what she needed to do was listen to the actual voice of God, not the one that she thought was the voice of God, which was the opposite of the voice of God, looking to kill and destroy her. And when Eva finally surrendered, she went from fighting us to inviting us to fight with her for her. And this is a picture of us dropping her off to college last year, her first time in person at college. She never used to let us hug her like that. When she was going through that difficult season, she would always guard her heart. She'd hug from the side. But do you see how she's collapsed into our arms right there? Because Eva surrendered her heart to the Lord and there learned how to hear God's voice and then walk in his truth, she has never been more whole in her entire life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why am I sharing with you this story of Eva? Well, because our text for this morning is going to invite us to wrestle with this question. Where are we fighting against Jesus Instead of fighting alongside of him, where is Jesus in our life getting in the way of what we think we need, what we think we want, what we think is best for us, and therefore we're fighting him rather than allowing him to be the one who leads us in how to fight and where to actually do the battle? Where are you scared to surrender, in other words? As we continue through our study in the book of Joshua, that's where we are going this morning. Um, if you remember, wh wh where we've been is God has brought his people, Israel, to the plains of Moab. They're about to enter into the promised land, and God makes these commands uh, to them and encourages them to live in these truths. Be strong and courageous, and do not fear. Why? Because I'm going to be with you no matter where you go. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you, but because I'm with you, I want you to be with one another. I want you to learn to fight differently. Don't fight for yourself and therefore end up fighting each other. But learn differently to fight with each other, alongside each other, for each other. 
Because what you're about to do is go battle enemies like you've never faced before. So I want you to realize you need to open your eyes to the spiritual realm and the physical realm and the overlapping of those two. And every time you see me break in, I want you to build Ebenezer's. Monuments of remembrance that for them were literally stone monuments that we built. Ours is over there near the cross. But friends, the cross is the greatest Ebenezer. We've talked about that, right? And we all have these memories, these Ebenezer moments in our lives where God showed up big time and called us to actually change, to die and rise again. He wants, he wants us, like we talked about last week, to move from Gilgal, moving in circles where we just keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, to Gilgal where God actually rolls back the reproach of our sins, and we learn a new way altogether. I hope even in just giving you a review of where we've been, you've begun to understand why God has brought us to Joshua. Because, friends, he's brought us to a place as a church where he wants us to learn to fight for our inheritance, to live into what he says is already ours in Christ. And the only way we do that is believing first and foremost that he's with us and for us. That we need to learn to fight differently for one another than we ever have before. We need to open our eyes to the spiritual reality that is at play all the time, whether we like it or not. And we need to learn to celebrate the moments of victory in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, to build those Ebenezers and to keep going back to them, to tell our children about them because our God is great. And if he is for us, no one can be against us. Amen, amen, amen. And so let's move from doing the same thing over and over again to a different way of life, walking in the victory and in the inheritance that is already ours in Christ Jesus. Let me say from the beginning, this is a weird passage. It's a weird passage. Let's be honest, right? They go to the promised land. They're about to go to Jericho. We know what's going to happen. If you've read this story before, they're going to march around Jericho. The walls are going to fall. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. But this is a weird passage. Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army, goes to right up near Jericho, and he sees another man with a drawn sword, and that man says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. So on a purely human level, Joshua should have been fighting this man for being an imposter if all he is is a man. But if he's more than just a man, and Joshua knows he's more than just a man, then the only right response for Joshua in that moment is to fall to the ground in worship. That, friends, is precisely what happens and why it matters that we take enough time to dive into this passage together this morning. Because what on earth is going on? Heaven. Simply put, heaven is going on in our passage. And if we don't see heaven, we won't see him. And we dare not miss him this morning. So today, here is our theme. Are you fighting alongside Jesus or against him? Or maybe better put, where? Are you fighting alongside Jesus? Where are you fighting against him? Three points. A declaration of identity, a declaration of authority, and an invitation to intimacy. First, a declaration of identity. Verse 14 in our passage, 
the commander of Yahweh's army is not simply a man. That's the point we're trying to make before. The commander of his earthly army is Joshua, so there needs to be more than that here, right? What is happening is simply a theophany. That's a theological term to talk about the pre-incarnate appearance of God in the flesh. So it's Jesus making himself known in the Old Testament. Everywhere you see God viewed as a man in the Old Testament, you have what is the whisper of what Jesus is about to do in the incarnation. Now, some of you, you might be hearing this for the first time. You're like, well, that's weird. Well, have you read John 1? In the beginning was the? And the word was? And the word was with God. So it was God and was with God. And then God sent that word and put on flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So what the Apostle John is actually pointing to is the very reality that's taking place, listen, all throughout the Old Testament. And if we don't have eyes to see it, we'll miss it. Okay? So this, this theophany is distinct from Yahweh, but is also Yahweh. You know what that sounds like? The Trinity. Distinct from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the same as right? So let me, let's just do a little survey of the Old Testament so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So these are the terms, the angel of the Lord, one who looks like the son of the gods, a man who acts like Yahweh, but it's called Yahweh. Numbers chapter 22, you remember that crazy passage where Balak, the king of Moab, summons Balaam to curse God's people. And so Balaam is riding his donkey and his donkey stops in the middle of the path and will go no further. And even though Balaam keeps whipping that donkey, the donkey doesn't do anything, and then all of a sudden the donkey starts talking to Balaam. Okay, again, spiritual stuff going on here, right? Because the last I checked, donkeys don't talk. If you're hearing a donkey talk, let's talk, right? Like, like donkeys don't talk, but when there is a spiritual moment, when heaven breaks into earth, donkeys do talk. How do I know? Because it's in the Bible. Numbers chapter 22. But do you remember what... When God finally opens Balaam's eyes, what does he see standing in front of him? But the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword. Same picture we're seeing here. He was in the way, to put it succinctly, he would not let this prophet curse his people. Praise be to God. Genesis 16, Hagar who's the maidservant of Sarai. She gets pregnant. Sarai gets really upset because it's, she can't have a baby. She drives her out into the wilderness. She's going to die there with the baby inside of her. And the angel of the Lord finds her there and says, go back and name this child Ishmael because Ishmael means God hears, specifically your cries, Hagar. And she names that place, or she names that God rather, the God who sees me. She's calling the angel of the Lord God in no uncertain terms. Same thing with Abraham when he welcomes three men by the oaks of Mamre. And he calls those three guys Yahweh. And then he worships them and calls that guy the judge of all. 
Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. He's got him on the altar. And what happens? The angel of the Lord cries out, don't do that. And stop what you're doing, Abraham, right? And then it says, you've not withheld your son from me. The angel of the Lord is calling himself God. Yahweh will provide is the name of the mountain as Abraham calls it. So he's actively calling that angel Yahweh. By myself I have sworn and I will surely bless you. Do you see the language here? The angel is calling himself Yahweh and Abraham is calling the angel Yahweh. Same thing in Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestles with this guy all night, this unnamed man, right? And he says, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, it's going to be Israel. Why? Because you have wrestled with God, right? And then Jacob says, well, I want to name this place Peniel because I've seen the face of God and not died. Again and again and again. Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. We, because, listen, how many of you have ever seen the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments? Raise your hands. Okay. You know in The Ten Commandments, the fire speaks to you, right? The fire Moses, take off your sandals. You're on, like, listen, it's a great movie, right? But God is not the fire. The angel of the Lord is in the fire. Where have we heard language like that before? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I thought we threw three guys in there, but I see a fourth in there who looks like a son of the gods right? At the burning bush, you see the angel of the Lord appearing in the fire and then speaking to Moses. Same thing when he goes to call Gideon in Joshua, uh, Judges chapter 6, which by the way is a hilarious passage of scripture when you start to unpack the fact that Gideon is, he calls himself Wimpian, really, right? Like, I'm the smallest guy from the smallest clan and the smallest tribe and what does God say to you? What does God say to him? You know, you mighty man of valor, right? He calls him what he's going to make him. And I don't know about you, but God is so encouraging to me. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't see a mighty man of valor oftentimes. But God still uses that language to encourage me to grow into the man he wants to make me into and has promised to make me into, to make us into friends. In this passage, the angel of the Lord refers to himself as Yahweh, and then Gideon sacrifices an offering to him, and it is received. So you see again and again and again something that is distinct from Yahweh, but at the same time, Yahweh. Zechariah chapter 3, the same thing. The angel of the Lord rebukes Satan's accusations against the high priest whose name just happens to be Joshua, which Joshua in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the name is Jesus is our great high priest. Don't miss all the little ways that the passage points us to Jesus, right? He replaces his filthy garments with pure ones. This is a picture of sanctification and then promises that the righteous branch, who is Jesus, will come again and again and again, listen, I know this is a fire hydrant. I'm just, I, what did I say before? A survey. I want you to see how often this takes place in the Old Testament. We didn't even talk about Judges 2, Judges 13, 1 Kings 1, 1 Chronicles 21, Psalm, 37, Psalm 34, 7. And then Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, everywhere you see a man sitting on the throne of Yahweh. Theophanies are all over 
the Old Testament. It matters that we see that, friends. And it's confirmed in our text when even in our text, this angel, right? We think angel wings, right? They come messengers, another way to, just, to translate it that in Greek. They are those things. But we've talked about there are different levels of spiritual being. An angel is one who is sent by God. They're the lowest level spiritual being. And then you have other beings that are higher up in authority over them, like the divine council being the highest. The Bible refers to as the sons, little s, of God, created spiritual beings that were made to rule over the world. Like, it's in the Bible. It's right there. We're going to look at it again briefly. But here's the reality. This is not them. Everywhere in the Bible, you see angel of the Lord, big A. You can know it is a theophany. It is when Jesus is making an appearance on the scene and he's, he's communicating something. This needs to happen. God himself needs to come. God himself in the form of a man. This is going to happen. Keep your eyes open. And friends, that's exactly what Christmas morning is all about. It's not a theophany. It's an incarnation. It's the fulfillment of of every theophany and every promise throughout the Old Testament. That's why Jesus came, Yahweh in human form. Our first point, it's a declaration of identity. Who is this commander? It is Yahweh. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Second point, it's a declaration of authority. He says, this is holy ground. Now listen, everywhere God goes is holy ground because God's there. But that's not the point he's making here. It's not the point he's making here. He's not saying, I'm here, therefore it's holy. He's saying, I've set this apart, which is what holy means. And that's why I'm here. And because I'm here, this ground is holy. Let me explain. Remember Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 says, When the Most High, Yahweh, gave to the nations their inheritance at uh, um, Babel, Tower of Babel, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons, little s, of God. Please don't choke on that term. Remember what we talked about. Sons of God is simply a way to talk about created angelic rulers. That God said, I'm going to assign you each regions to rule over. You're going to be in charge. And you're about to understand why that matters. So if you've, if you've questioned and said, well, I'm not sure why this matters, you're about to get your answer. Divided according to the numbers of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is, is his allotted inheritance. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, even before there's any rebellion on the spiritual realm, he's saying, these are the ones I've called to rule over here, but I've always reserved for myself this plot of land and these people in it. Why it matters is because all of the other rulers, the sons of God, if you will, the divine council, rebel. They rebel. And so you have humanity and spiritual creation in rebellion against God at the same time. And then you wonder, what is God going to do with all of this? Well, here's why this matters. Because I want you to realize that Yahweh is the OG Liam Neeson. He's the original dad that says this, 
You've taken what belongs to me, and I'm going to take it back. I have a special set of skills that you have forgotten about, and I'm about to use them to take back what belongs to me. Yahweh is not stealing or bullying when he comes into Canaan and says, that's mine, I'm taking it back. He's saying, you had no right to be there from the beginning. I've set the boundaries. This is where you belong. This is where you belong. This is where you belong. That's my land for my people. It matters that we see that, friends, because if we don't, then Yahweh is a bully, and all he is doing is taking land that other people are living in, that other people have made claims to. But if from the beginning he has said, this is mine, it's my inheritance, then he's not bullying anyone. He's taking back what is rightfully his. Now, why that also matters, friends, is because when, when he takes it back and when he grows a people for the very purpose that he promised, which is to bring Jesus into the world, when Jesus comes into the world, that's when the real mystery is, re is revealed. What's the real mystery? That it was never just about this little plot of land. Because in case you missed it in that, in that psalm passage we read, all of the world belongs to Yahweh. And all nations belong to him. And so when God called Abraham to be this special people, do you remember what he said to Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I want to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. But I'm going to do all of it so that through you, the entire world can be blessed. It was never simply about a little plot of land that we call the nation of Israel. It was always about God taking back what actually belongs to him. And friends, that's every one of us and every square inch of this world, which is why when Jesus sends out his disciples, what does he say to them? You're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem. It's always been from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. The good news, friends, is that our God had and has a special set of, of skills, that he used them on the cross so that he can come and actually save the entire world from the enemy who has taken us captive. We don't belong to him. We belong to him. Amen? I want you to notice something, though. Because there's something going on in our passage that it's easy to overlook. When Joshua comes up to this man, this man is actually not facing away from Joshua. But he's facing him with a drawn sword. Why does that matter? Because in the ancient culture, when you would go into an old man's tent, the firstborn son would go to the top of that, to the front, the opening of that tent, and draw his sword and stand there, declaring to anyone that if you're going to try to get into my father's tent, you're going to have to go through me. The commander of the Lord's army, Jesus, is standing at the opening to his father's tent 
and declaring, if anyone's going to get in there to, to the Father, they, they're going to have to go through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see the fingerprints of the Lord all over this passage? Do you hear the whispers of his heart all over this passage? Do you see Jesus all over this passage? If so, please hear this. Jesus is there to protect you on the inside. But he's also standing there to protect what the inside is all about. In the same way that when Adam and Eve rebelled and God put one of the seraphim at at the front of the Garden of Eden to guard it so that Adam and Eve could not go back into the garden and eat from the tree of life and live forever in rebellion against God. God was saying this, I will not allow you, Adam and Eve, to turn what was supposed to be heaven on earth into hell on earth. I will not allow it. I love you too much. And in the same way, what he's demonstrating to Joshua and through Joshua to all of us is that very same principle, that he's not going to allow us to change what he's going to call heaven on earth to hell on earth. He's not going to allow us to do it our way. He's not going to allow good enough to be good enough. There's a reason why there were walls in the temple, right? It wasn't to keep God from escaping. It was so that The presence of God didn't destroy his people because he's holy and we're not. And we read that and we're like, blah, 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 blah. We don't know what that means. Let me tell you what it means. It means so sinless, so pure, so full of life, that to simply be in his presence would consume us. All of the junk in us would just burn up. Do you know that that kind of holiness is exactly what heaven is all about? And exactly what we were created to know. Let me put it to you differently. How many of you want to die and want to die and go to a heaven that looks like earth and is full of sorrow and pain? It's full of warfare and cancer. I don't see any hands. I don't want that either. You know why we don't want that? Because we were made for the real one. Where there is no sorrow. There is no relational breakdown. There is no heartache. There's none of that. And therefore, this side of heaven, God says, I am going to get in your way with my sword. And like a surgeon, I'm going to cut what needs to be cut. And it's going to hurt. But if you'll let me, I'll make you holy as I am holy. Did you miss that the first time we read this passage? The angel of the Lord is standing, guarding the way from his people so that he could guard the way for his people. Where, friends, is Jesus in your way? Challenging this idea of our own control and the pride that's underneath it. When we say things like, I'm not ready to deal with that right now. Or it hurts too much to go there, so I refuse. Or God should love me just the way that I am. God does love you just the way that you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Let me tell you a story of where this took place in my own life. Back when I was really young, 11. Just kidding. That's how we love to tell these stories, don't we? 
I used to struggle with stuff like that, but now I'm all better. No, 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 no. Last spring, when I went down to Dunamis with our team, we were doing inner healing, which is what we're going to be doing this coming weekend at Ignite. And I'd already done a ton of inner healing work. I've been, I went through a whole season of counseling. I had just done a whole semester on inner healing and on deliverance. There was all of this stuff going on in my life. I'd done a ton of work. I felt great. I thought, I'm just here to help serve. I'm just here to help others who need this because I don't need it. I'm good. One of the dunamis leaders, who, by the way, the dunamis ignite leaders who are coming, the only two who have actually been to seminary are Alan and Debbie. Everyone else is a lay leader. The whole vision of that project is to train up the church to lead, which is why I love it, which is why it's not so clean around the edges, why it's a little clunky sometimes. You know what that feels like? It feels like my life, <laughs> and I think our lives. It's why I love that project. So I'm down there, and one of the leaders, Christina, who you'll see again this weekend, she's coming up, Christina Porter, she says, no, 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 there, here's, a, here's an open session, you're coming for prayer, and who am I praying with? Of course, Christina, right? Christina and then another pastor, I forget his name, but can I tell you, I've already shared some of the details of this, but I'm just going to share the highlight right now. That was some of the most profound transformation in my life, in that one prayer session. God had been preparing me. I had done a ton of work. None of that was negated. I had done a ton of growing. None of that was negated. It was simply preparation for God to do what I didn't have eyes to see that he wanted to do. And all I needed to do was give him my yes. That's all. I just needed to surrender control. And I was tempted not to. I'm not going to lie. I was like, ah, I'm not sure. And then who did God send to push me in that direction? But Kristen, whoop, right? She's like, no, no, you're good. Yeah, yeah, you, don't worry. It'll be fine, right? And there was such profound change in my heart because God uprooted deep fear, deep shame, deep insecurity that I didn't even know was there. So when Jesus comes and he says this, only the sick need a doctor. What is he saying? That if we're not willing to admit that we might be sick in ways we don't see, we will reject him because he's our doctor. But when we are willing to open up our hands and surrender, then the doctor will do work that we don't even know we need, but man, is it glorious when he does. So Joshua's question, are you for me or for my adversaries, is the wrong question. You see that, right? The wrong question, which is why the commander of the Lord's army, why Jesus says no. Such an odd answer until you understand the bigger picture context. The answer is no. The real question is, are you fighting me, Joshua, or are you going to follow me, Joshua? Which one is it? There's only two options. I will not allow you to turn heaven into hell, but I will do everything necessary to make you ready for heaven. That's the promise of our king, friends. That's why it matters that we see these things. 
Because the very next thing that we see is an invitation to intimacy. That's our third point. Joshua falls down and he worships the Lord. And the Lord says, take off your sandals. That's holy ground. Please see that this is a recapitulation of what we saw Moses at the burning bush, right? The same thing happens. Comes into God's presence. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And, and then we're like, yeah, take off your sandals because God's there. Wait, what? Why is he taking off his sandals? Are his sandals unclean? Why not take off his whole, all of his clothing then? What, what's the deal with that? Why is he taking off his sandals? Well, to understand why he's taking off his sandals, you have to go to a different passage. Ruth chapter 4. Where if you remember, Ruth is a Moabitess. She's from Moab. The same king who tried to curse God's people. She's from that place. Let me put it to you differently. She's a Gentile, a Goyim. She's the nations. She marries an Israelite who dies. And she comes back to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the only hope that they're going to have is for there to be a relative in their family to redeem them, meaning to marry Ruth and provide hope and offspring other than that, there's no hope for them. You remember she meets a guy named Boaz. Boaz happens to be a part of their family. He is therefore a redeemer. And she proposes to him. And he says yes. But there's a closer relative. And that closer relative has rights to, to Ruth and to all of what would have been Ruth's husband's land. And so Boaz meets with this closer relative and says, Hey, I want you to know that Ruth and Naomi have come back and you're a closer relative, are you going to redeem this or not? And he says, yep, I'll redeem it. I want the land. He says, well, with the land comes Ruth. You also need to redeem her and start a family with her. And he says, whoa, that's too much. And then he takes off his sandal. And he gives it to Boaz in front of all the elders. Does anyone else smell that? <laughs> he gives it to Boaz. And what does he declare? What does he declare? I can't redeem it. I need you to redeem it. He's declaring the same thing that's being declared by both Moses and Joshua every time they come into the presence of God. I can't redeem me or your people or your land or any of this that you've put in front of us. I need you to do the redeeming. Beloved, are you willing to take off your sandals today? Are you willing to declare before the Lord, fall on your face and say, I need this kind of redemption, God. I know there are places inside of me that I cannot even see clearly. Some of you for the first time, you're in here, you're like, I, I don't know about this Jesus. Some of this stuff is really weird. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus is the one who's pursuing you. You're afraid that he's going to see you for who you are. And I want you to know that's exactly what he sees. And you're exactly the one he's been pursuing. Not a better version of you. You. So that he can make you whole. Some of us need to, to take off our sandals for the first time. 
and to declare that we're not Lord over our own lives. We need Jesus to play that role for us. Friends, he never says no. Others of us, we've been Christians for a long time. And so we've come up with lots of ways to hide the things we don't want to deal with. And lots of excuses for why this is not the right season. And I want you to know, friends, that the Jesus who comes up to you with a sword is a master surgeon. He's not looking to simply kill you. Did you hear the word I just used? He's absolutely looking to put you to death so that he can raise you to new life in ways you don't even know you need. Are you willing to surrender and to say, yes, Lord, here I am, in a fresh way, in a new way, in a different way, in a deeper way, and to do so together? Because the invitation in our passage is precisely that. And friends, the only other way is Gilgal. The only other way is what the Israelites did in the wilderness. It's just keep going around in circles with all these good excuses for why the giants are too big, the sand is too hot, there's not enough water, the manna tastes disgusting. Anything else we need to say, we just keep going around as opposed to this clear invitation to take off our sandals and get on the floor. Beloved, I love this passage of scripture because of the way that it ends. How does it end again? With Joshua on the ground. How long was he there? What else happened? What are the details? All we see is Joshua face down on the ground in the presence of his maker just lingering. Just giving God space to let heaven break in. If you're looking for the how, it's right there. There's no other way than being in his presence, beloved, and letting God begin to speak the things to us that our hearts have always needed to hear, but with the voices of pain and fear and shame, we have struggled to hear. I will never leave you, he says. I will never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. I know the plans I have for you. When I made you in your mother's womb, when I knit you together, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. The things spoken over you were not from me. He's a liar. Stop listening to him. The things done to you when you were little were not from me. I wasn't okay with that. Let's get you past that pain. I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. And not one ounce of your pain will be wasted. Not one ounce of your suffering will be wasted. For these light and momentary trials are accruing for us, storing up for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. And when we know Jesus, that kingdom 
And that treasure continually breaks in now. Yes, it will all be ours one day, but we get to taste and see it now. Will you, beloved? Will you? I started off talking about Eva. I want to end talking about Eva because I love that girl with every ounce of my being. But my love for her doesn't even compare to the love of Abba. And when her life fell apart, we were all undone, and many of you in this room were there with us, and I cannot thank you enough. But when her life fell apart, she had to learn to hear the voice of God. And can I tell you, she went up and spent a year doing her freshman year up at Camp of the Woods doing this lift program where she said to me on the phone, Dad, I finally understand what you mean when you say listening to God. I, t- I walk every morning the lake and I talk with him, and he talks to me. I know his voice, and it's changing my heart. And it did change her heart, and she was a new creation. There was a glow about her that I'd never seen in her. I knew it was there. I could see little glimpses, but it was never allowed to come out. And now it just shines forth as she goes into this life and into this world, a different human being. And friends, can I tell you, I'm sharing her story not just because I love my daughter, but because I love your daughter's. And I love you. And the thing that I keep hearing when I'm helping people through healing and deliverance sessions is so many of our girls believe I am ugly. I am dumb. I am unlovable. And I stand before you as your brother and pastor to declare that those are lies. And you are not to believe them anymore. And today is a new day. And if you need help, we are here to help you because the liar has always gone after women. Why? Because of what Eve was going to bring into the world. And his name is Jesus. So friends, if you are struggling there, if you have heard those voices of accusation, if you're wearing the weight of that shame, you don't have to anymore. We want to help you. He wants to set you free. Let this be the week that you lean in and believe what he said through the prophet Jeremiah when his people were being carried off into exile, when their whole world had fallen apart. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future beyond what you can see, even through the pain. Trust me, I got you. I know where this is going. Trust me, even in the pain. And as Eva has done that, this is what God has done. Now, God does not promise everyone in this room is going to get engaged because you you start to follow him. But here's the beauty of this story. A little girl who spent far too much time believing that she was not worth loving finally opens up her heart to God for healing. Healing, true healing, and begins to believe that she's not just lovable, but loved. And as she leans into that and walks in that new way, suddenly 
the light coming out of her. Everyone can see, even a missionary kid named Ben, who can't seem to take his eyes off of her, who loves Jesus and loves my daughter. And he better or else, <laughs> right? I have no fear because I see what God has done. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Beloved, are you willing to take off your sandal today? Are you willing to surrender those parts that you felt like you needed to control in order to be safe? Let me ask more specifically, are you willing to walk the path of pain in order to be made whole? There is no other way. To say no now is to simply prolong the path and come back to the same place years down the road. Say yes now. Lean in. And let's watch what God does in our midst together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for the ways that you have always broken into your story. It is all about you. It's always been about you. And I thank you for the freedom of seeing it that way because as we understand this story being about you, it takes all the pressure off of our shoulders to make it about us. This world is not about me. It's about you, Jesus. This church is not about me. It's about you, Jesus. My family is not about me. It's about you, Jesus. My life is not about me. It's about you, Jesus. And when it's about you, I win. I am blessed. We are blessed. Our world is blessed. Because you came not simply for a people 2,000 years ago, not simply for a certain ethnicity, but for the entire world. And so, Jesus, we declare this day that we want to follow you, that there are big parts of our hearts that we don't even see we need healing in, and other parts we do see and we're afraid. Or maybe we're struggling. Or maybe we just don't know how. No matter where we are at, Lord, would you, would you receive our surrender today? I surrender, Lord Jesus. I surrender my burdens to you. I surrender my fear to you, Lord. I surrender my future to you and my past and all of the implications for my present. Trust that you're good, that you have plans for me to prosper me and not to harm me. I trust that when you get in the way, it's for my good and not to hurt me. Jesus, would you stay in the way until we see? Would you do a good work in us, Lord? We say yes even before we know what we're saying yes to because we trust you. Have your way, God. Have your way. I pray that this would be a new season for us as a church. 
season where we continually give you our sandal, not once, not twice, but every time we're in your presence, just like Joshua, just like Moses, just like David, just like everyone, Lord, who knew what it was to be in the manifest presence of the King, who constantly gave back to you what belongs to you, control. Here, I cannot redeem myself. I need you to do it. I cannot redeem my family. I need you to do it. I cannot redeem this world. We need you to do it. And that is who you are, Jesus. We know it. And so we fall down before you and we worship. Speak to us as we linger now in your presence.